Hi, I'm Lauren Klaschneider with Class Notes for Broadway Radio. I'm here with Annie Kaufman, the director of 100 Days, playing off-Broadway at the New York Theatre Workshop. Welcome, Annie. Thanks. So nice to be here. Well, glad that you're here. And I just want to say, since all of this is being heard and not read, first, A-N-N-E, pronounced Annie, <laughs> just set everybody straight right about after that. It's really true. It's true. It's true. And you're right. It's actually not – A-N-N-E is not actually pronounced Annie. So I completely understand the confusion. I guess what I think I say is that Annie is my nickname, although I, uh, I demand that everyone call me by my, nick- my nickname. So that's, that's the breakdown on that. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> now let's talk about the fact that you have directed 100 Days mm-hmm. in a unique autobiographical musical actually written and starring husband and wife team Abigail and Sean Benson. What was it like developing their story with them and how personal all that must have been? Uh, well, it's a very interesting question, you know, because started, we started down this road, I think maybe close to five years ago. And um, we've, so we've spent a long time developing this, this piece. And its first iteration was, and they've always talked about it as an autobiographical piece, mm-hmm. um, but they, when we first began our journey with it, which is in San Francisco way back when, um, we created a whole fictional story around um, that reflected their real life story, but was sort of manifest in a, in a, in a sort of a, nar- a, a full on narrative. That mm-hmm. you know what I mean, mm-hmm. with characters and so and so on. And what's interesting about um, the evolution of this piece is normally I think you, you feel like you start with a sketch and you continue to build, you know, and put meat on the bones and have it grow and grow. And this was the exact opposite um, experience. We, we carved away and away and away and stripped away and stripped away um, until we got to like the sort of bloody center of their very, very personal story. <laughs> we stripped mm-hmm. away artifice um, mm-hmm. after artifice. And mm-hmm. that whole process you know, the whole five years or whatever, mm-hmm. what was interesting was that, like, as we were stripping away, they had to actually, they had to articulate more and more um, the sort of events in their in their lives, and there, were some, there was some stuff that they had never admitted to one another <laughs> as we were developing this. So, and we, you know, there were certain things that we hit upon that we were like, what? Oh, my God, you've never told her that? You've never told them that? We have to put this in here. This is like the key that, you know, the, the, there were these like keys, um, you know, in their, in their sort of hidden, in their sort of secret selves that kept, that actually opened it up, that fleshed it out emotionally, but mm. as we continue to strip it back aesthetically. Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine what it must have been like in the rehearsal process, um, it being so personal. Now, the New York Times advises audiences to watch with a handkerchief at the ready. So, Mm. Annie, why do you think the show resonates with such a wide range of audience members at such a highly intense emotional level? Uh, gosh, I think that, it, you know, I think it's so different for so many people. As I talk to people, I mean, for me, the resonance um, is about the um, admission of great fear that we are not actually able to, you know, we have to be strong Americans or whatever. Um, so I think that the, the feeling that we're, we're being heard and that fear is, is a communal thing, 
um, and that it and that it stops us up. It stops our um, our hearts from beating and pursuing what our hearts want, um, and really just kind of messes with um, messes with uh, our future um, and desire. I think that's one part of it for me. The thing that um, and that and that you're you know and that you would actually keep yourself hidden from someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that fear, and that you're you're not <laughs> you're not opening yourself up. Um, so I think that's one that's one um, part of it. Uh, I, uh, and we also fall in love with these characters. We, well, not characters. We right. We fall in love with Sean and Abigail, and just can yeah. watch you know Abigail keep herself from the sweetest man alive. Sean, you know, mm-hmm. I think is um, is hard. Um, but for me, the, the, the heart of the piece for me personally is really that last section where they're talking about their future. And for me, that's very, very moving. And I really feel as they go through their, uh, you know, the different decades that they could be spending with one another um, and sort of articulate what they see for their future for themselves and with each other, it's so incredibly moving. And um, to me, it's like you, can, you, you feel in the audience the different ages responding you can hear, you know, the people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. We have them all. Yeah. Knowingly, you know, respond to to how we, you know, what what it is to be young and to envision our future. Mm-hmm. There's so much hope, you know. There's so much hope there, and some of it, some of I, I feel people in the audience, some of them from agreeing, and some of them also being like, oh gosh, that's what I thought too. And somehow we're we're in touch with our younger, you know, those of us who are a little bit older than they are, mm-hmm. um, get, become, you know, re, reconnect with who we were mm-hmm. at their age. Mm-hmm. And um, I find that very, very moving because I think the reconciliation of who I am now and who I was then, um, it, it's an interesting endeavor to try to reconcile that. And, it's, and they are helping me um, uh, uh, re-meet my younger self. Uh, and to see how far I've come or to see how I've gotten off track or whatever. So that's very moving to me. Right. I, I'm going to throw out an observation. I, I feel like there's also an element of meeting one's younger romantic self oh, true. or relationship self, even if it's not romantic, with whomever we might connect with throughout our lives. I, I think that there's a, quite a bit of a universality there in the Sean Abigail story that you're collaborating on absolutely it's funny that i like left that out right um uh (laughs) that the major thing at the center is this great love that they have for each other this romantic love um and it's something i think that we um we you know some of us have experienced and lost some of us have not experienced and desire um and then for me i feel like um you know i've had those relationships with people both with, you know, lovers, but also with friends of mine who I feel mm. um, a very deep romantic love for, if not sexual. So I feel like <laughs> uh-huh, you're uh-huh. right. You're, you're, you and know, it evolves. It, it's never, it evolves. It's, yes. it's not static. And no. one of the things that strikes me with their music, which has been mm. described as folk punk, <laughs> um, a genre which I wouldn't have thought I had an affinity for, but I do, and I just would love, love, love hearing how they play and how they sing and what they're doing musically with the fellow musicians that they're on stage with, I guess musician actors that they're on stage with. 
talk a little bit about the evolution of that music and how it tells their love story. Oh, gosh, you know, it's so crazy because this is the other thing that's kind of amazing about the progression of this piece because, you know, five years ago is when I began it with them. I began working with them. But they've been writing this piece for 10 years. They've been writing this piece since they first met. Oh, my gosh. So they've been writing those songs. So some of those songs, like 100 Days, um, vows, I think, mm-hmm. um, uh, bells. Well, bells, I think they say is the first song that they wrote together, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, some of those songs are from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what's been interesting about the evolution of the piece is not just story-wise and stripping away and getting to their essence. It's actually charting their um, evolution as, as musicians and collaborators mm-hmm. and, and their maturation process because we because there's many songs that have been thrown out and um or been refashioned in their um with with their um more recently developed taste mm-hmm. and desires for their music mm-hmm. so one of the things that i think is really fascinating about the piece is you actually can see the evolution of their collaboration and their um and their skills and and um tastes as musicians Mm-hmm. Um, and they also are, uh, oh gosh, I mean, they are, they are, ex- I'm telling you, they are an extraordinary, they are ex- extraordinary creators because they are deeply passionate, they are deeply, um, intuitive, and they are, um, deeply unprecious, which is, uh, uh-huh. which is uh-huh. a <laughs> really, 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 really important, uh-huh. uh, attribute as a collaborator I have to say they Uh um, are super smart about story they are super smart about um, obviously super smart about music and they can take three words that I might say or Sarah Ganter might say or someone in the band might say and they can seize on those words and they can make and they can just create something that is fully fleshed out and intricate and and then in the same moment they'll be like okay that didn't work all right boom gone uh, it's really it's really an extraordinary thing, um, and they are they are deeply they are they are in, they are um, they can be very improvisational. They are deeply reliant on their band. I think this is more to the question that you asked. They are deeply reliant on the band. There's a constant collaboration happening. They are the major leaders in orchestrating and obviously orchestrating and writing their music. But as they as they work with the band. And they are they are they are very democratic and are interested in hearing sort of you know um, thoughts from the band. What if I do this? Will that be better? Yes, let's keep that. That's you know. So it's a, kind of a remarkable thing to um, to uh, experience them uh, you know continuing to create even after a, a song has been written. Mm-hmm. Um, and they listen very deeply to my me and to Sarah Gancher and to my associate Caitlin and. Um, whoever, they're actually quite open to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. In fact, <laughs> part of me, you know, a lot of what I'm trying to do is like, okay, guys, so now like this, willow, willow that down, winnow that down, <laughs> because I see it, winnow that down to a few people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're, 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 they're so responsive, um, to, uh, external, you know, to, to people's thoughts and they want to hear, they want to hear, they want to hear. It's also, they're deeply open people. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, lovely. Well, let's let's talk about the staging for a moment. The piece mm. is beautiful in its simplicity. Mm-hmm. Um, 
talk a little bit about some of the challenges and triumphs working in the New York Theatre Workshop space and its simplicity in how to tell the story visually. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that was another, you know, that was another thing that I felt very... Okay, so here's... So so going from the San Francisco version and realizing that this whole sort of... um, Structural, you know, fictional structure that we had we had constructed was not the way we wanted to go, and we wanted to really bring it back to to just them. Part of the inspiration for that is that when they were, you know, when they they had the music, they you know they wrote it ten, you know, some of it ten years ago. They had been touring with the music, and when they toured with the music, they would talk about how they were going to make this piece about this couple and this illness and hundred days. And this potential, Ill, you know, this fear of this illness, and um, and so they would just, as as this, in concert mode, they would just sort of tell people what the, what the piece was inspired by and what part of the piece it was going to be a part of, you know, what, what part of the narrative it was going to be a part of, and I think people were very, people were extremely moved by that, actually, just hearing that storytelling, even just just the, the you know, giving, and I thought, well. Why don't we try? Because what's so strong about the piece, and has always been strong about the piece, is the music. Right. You know. So, what does it mean to actually put the music first and foremost? And how do we keep it as close to concert as possible? Mm-hmm. And how do we? Uh, and how can we actually um, ignite an audience's imagination in such a way through storytelling? I mean, we, you know, there's a lot of that. Storytelling is hugely. Um, impactful in the theater, you know. I mean, people who don't need any, you know, who don't need any uh, visual aids. So, um, you know, we 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 all know we all know those 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 performers who do that. Um, so I was I was really interested in that and um, and uh, wanted to hew very close to the concert uh, format, and then so that when there was moments of theatricality that those small moments of theatricality would be actually quite expansive, you know, because they're very simple. And my hope, <laughs> I don't know if this is always successful, but my hope is that the audience's imagination has been ignited, that they're actually picturing, they're imagine, you know, they're actually creating these images in their head, and then there's a moment when what's happening on stage supports their imagination and causes it to go even further. But it's just these small gestures. I mean, I call it a theatrical concert, Mm-hmm. which I think is sort of what, you know, I, I was aiming for. And I find it to be quite a compelling um, aesthetic, to be honest. I, I kept saying to them, I want to I do the most, po- I want to have the greatest impact with the smallest um, amount of visual um, gifting. <laughs> oh, well, absolutely achieved. Absolutely achieved. <laughs> Annie, thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm Lauren Klaus Schneider with Annie Kaufman, the director of 100 Days, playing off-Broadway at the New York Theatre Workshop through December 31st. Hurry and happy holidays.